Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host, Ben Carson. And we have with us a very special guest today, a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, the host of It's Not About Us with Elaine Beck. Of course, this is Elaine Beck, a friend, a supporter, and a great inspiration to us all. Welcome. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. And we're going to talk a little bit today about, you know, faith and the values that affect our country, have affected them in the past, what's happening right now. You know, there's so many people who say that we are a Christian nation, that we have a Judeo-Christian foundation. Then there are others who say, no, we're not. This is definitely not a Christian nation. Who's right? Well, I believe that the person that is right is the person that understands that, you know, we are Christ followers. Mm -hmm. And the majority of people in this country truly are. Have we all slipped at times? Are we none of us perfect? Are we human? Absolutely. And do we make mistakes and sin? Of course we do. But the majority of the people in this country They want what we have. The ones that have strayed away and have believed the lies, and I think that's the real problem, Dr. Carson, is that for years, lies have been spread and we weren't paying attention. We weren't doing the right thing. We weren't teaching about our country and our belief system in our churches You know, when I I was a little girl, and I don't know if this happened uh, to you at all, but I came from a small community and all the churches, and and I was just sharing with you and your your, uh, constituents that, uh, or your uh, uh, employees, how wonderful it is that, you know, I came from a a town where there was so few people, Mm -hmm. and yet we had six churches. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that was that we all knew that we needed a bigger person in our lives. We needed God and we believed in God in heaven. And we knew that, you know, we couldn't manage things on our own. And so that's how we got through the day. And we taught our children, my parents, you know, even though they didn't go to church, you know, they taught us 
biblical values. You learn from a childhood. You know, Proverbs twenty two six: train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from. And you know, Absolutely. it used to be all of our textbooks, all of our historical textbooks for children, used to have stories in them like the bulletproof. George Washington. Yes. You know, he was a, a courier for General Braddock in the French and Indian War. And all the couriers were killed except him. Mm -hmm. He had a horse, horse shot out from underneath him. His petticoat had four bullet holes in it. Right. He had bullet fragments in his <laughs> hair, but no flesh wounds. Wow. And uh, what was interesting is that many years later, after the war, one of the Indian chiefs who had been involved in the war, he was close to death, who was very old at that point. And Washington hadn't become president yet. He was right, close. Right. And he was going to be in the area. And the chief said, take me to see that man. I must see him before I die. <laughs> and they brought him to the president, presence of uh, George Washington. And he said, sir, I am an expert marksman. And I shot you many times. Oh. And my men shot you many times. And I just wanted to see a man who was protected by the great spirit above before I died. That story used to be in all of our textbooks. Yeah. And, and, and some of the other stories uh, about the Revolutionary War that were really quite miraculous. Oh, absolutely. And then uh, the politically correct people said, you can't put that in. You can't teach that to the children. Yes, absolutely. And, and it was something that even, I mean, I remember being a little teeny girl, little teeny, and... You're still I, pretty teeny. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> but I remember being so young that I, the things that I was taught and understood was, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It was one of the first things I was ever taught, that, you know, if you love people, you'll get loved back. If you're kind and you you share little kids things, share, right. then they'll share with you. But if you're mean, if you strike out at people, the sting of that coming back is unpleasant. And all you do is drive yourselves further apart. Exactly. And then how do you make up for that? And I remember telling somebody one time, actually, it was my husband. Mm -hmm. I remember saying to him, isn't it wonderful that we're old enough to understand that it only takes something small that can cause hurt to another person that can grow into something big. So we avoid the small hurts in order not to cause the big hurts. And it's so important just to be able, if you hurt somebody, intentionally or unintentionally, just say, I'm sorry. Why, why, why is that? Why are those words so hard for people? How's it so hard to admit you were wrong to begin with? There are so many people nowadays that the, the modus operandi is, well, if it wasn't for them, and if I hadn't had that childhood, and if, if somebody else didn't get in my way, or they hadn't got, you know, this morning I was late getting here. <laughs> and the first thing I said was, I'm sorry, that was my fault. Now, I, I didn't give that to my assistant who I came with. I didn't say, you know, well, if she, 
I know people that would do that in this world right now. And it's so sad. Why would you blame somebody else for something that you can easily just say, you know, because in reality, is that really important, Dr. Carson? Well, there was a, a woman named Mamie White who wrote a poem called Yourself to Blame. And uh, my mother memorized that poem. And every time we came up with an excuse, that was the next thing out of her mouth. You have yourself to blame. You're the yes. captain of your ship. Amen. Go, Amen. Know? I love that. And, you know, she pushed us academically. But I think that just as important was the fact that she would not accept excuses. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as a result, even though we grew up in inner city amongst all the horrible things you associate with that. Right. I became a brain surgeon and my brother became a, a rocket scientist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people hear that and they go, sure, right, a rocket scientist. How many, you know, but it's real. Yeah, it's See, absolutely real. This, this is what's really neat about life. Things can be real and turn out great if you have the structure when you're young and the consequences for your actions exactly. to make it better. And isn't it sad how children nowadays are being spoiled rotten, mm -hmm. being enabled to do everything wrong mm -hmm. and to look at everything and see the world in the wrong light. How can we expect them to grow up to be, you know, good Christian men and women yes. and do the right thing? And we have so many, you know, particularly the minority children who are being told that they're victims. Yes. And that the society is stacked against them and that they will never be able to be fully successful in a society like that. Now, how is that going to affect someone's image of themselves? Right. And their potential. And then, you know, some of the little white kids, you're being told that they're oppressors that all of their ancestors are oppressors, that they're evil people. Exactly. I mean, come on, how is, how is that supposed to help anybody? And anyways, you know, I, I, what I think is so sad is there was a time when children were treated like children. It was understood that that little new mind that just came out of the womb five years ago or seven years ago, I mean, was just created then. And all they've got is what wisdom they could learn in that short amount of time is being set upon heavy burden thought and things that they cannot possibly wrap around in their little minds and hearts and understand in any way how confusing must that be. It's got to be terribly confusing. And, and the human brain develops very quickly after... Uh, the initial fertilization of the egg and the gametes join together, become a zygote, and it starts dividing quickly. And brain cells are being added by the hundreds of thousands every single day. And the brain continues that development right up into your 20s. Yes, I heard 25 that you are not fully developed in your ability to think through problems until you're 25. That's about right. Okay, so let's, let's look at that. Because if that's the case, why are we thinking that a 18-year-old can handle making decisions out on the field in a war 
or making decisions about whether or not they should do adult type things like drinking or, well, I guess that's 21, which always confused me because why could you, why should you be able to go fight a war at 18 when you can't drink until you're 21? There are all these conflicting things, you know, again, babies are being conflicted. Kids in their, you know, at anywhere between five and 12. They're being asked to make decisions like, what is your gender? Why would we do that to a child? No. Who can't comprehend those kinds of things. Children are naturally curious. We sure. And they're very suggestible. Right. So if you come up to a kid and say, you know, you may not actually be a girl or boy, it has a much bigger effect than if you come up to somebody who's fully matured and, you know, exactly. can, can take all things into consideration. Well, sure. So sure. it's really child abuse to do that. It, it and, is. And that's the reason that people have, that's why God gave kids parents, right. so that they could protect them. But uh, now we have the people who are preying upon these children. Absolutely. Trying to exclude the parents. They you, you just stay over there because you're a bad influence on these kids and we will take care of them. We well, you know yesterday I had the privilege, and I mean this, a great privilege to be at the hearing at the House of Representatives mm-hmm. um, for trafficking in this country. And one of the things that was brought up was um, a something that was passed just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was um, Section 1032. Don't hold me to that. Okay. But what it literally was, was saying that it was no longer, um, people were no longer able to do any kind of trafficking in the school, in, in schools, on school grounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. That it was to protect the children while they were in school. And I'm sorry, but I was sitting there thinking, okay, so we passed that several years ago, and yet we've got teachers that are allowed to make decisions out of the outside of the parents' will to teach our children about sex when they are in kindergarten, to teach them about genders and, and make them feel like they can make a decision at five years old. How is that not trafficking or leading up to it in school, by the school? Isn't that a contradiction to you? Seems like a big contradiction. Absolutely. Well, what's interesting is if you look at the congressional record, January 10, 1963, read into the congressional record were the 45 goals of communism in the United States. One of them was getting into the schools and gaining control of that so you could indoctrinate the kids. And one of them was to make sexual promiscuity and other kinds of degeneracy normal. And they've succeeded in doing that. Absolutely. They're continuing. And that was 60 years ago. Yeah. A lot of people think this is of recent origin. Oh, no, no, no. No, this has been a plan. And that's why uh, it was uh, Khrushchev who said to Eisenhower, your children will, your grandchildren's children will live under communism. 
we won't have to fire a shot. Yeah. So the Marxist ideologies that have been infiltrating into our society, it's done for a reason. And it's making us take sides. And it's making us think that we're each other's enemies. It's mm. making us fight each other mm. and hate each other, mm. which is a big part of how you destroy the great American dream, yes. the American society, and impose something else. So we've got our work cut out to help people to, to see that we're not each other's enemies and we don't need to allow ourselves to be manipulated into thinking that we're enemies. No. When we have worked together, when our communities have worked together, look what it did. It took us from a, a ragtag bunch of militiamen to the pinnacle of the world in record time. That was not a coincidence. No. And, uh, you know, speaking, speaking of whether that was a coincidence, we'll be right back with our guest, Elaine Beck, to talk about some of the things that are happening as we're throwing away our faith. We'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we're back with our fascinating guest, uh, Elaine Beck. And Elaine, I wanted to, to ask you to discuss the, the gradual decline of faith and values in contemporary America. What, what do you think is, is leading to that? Well, I believe that we touched on that a little bit in the last section there at the end, but... I was in high school or junior high when one single woman in this country, an atheist, went before, you know, our largest uh, judicial system in the country and said that she wanted prayer taken out of school. 1963, was it? 62, I think. We can look that up later, but it was in that area. And all I know is that I went from going to school every day for all those years and saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and the announcement coming over the PA and we bowed our heads, put our hands together and prayed to the Heavenly Father for our day and our country. And all of a sudden, it didn't happen. And there were murmurs, not directly, but murmurs about what happened. Because nobody really wanted to talk about it. Because at that time, sadly, the people of the United States, the parents, the people in authority, had this notion that, well, you know, you can't stop us from praying at home. And that's really not important. And, you know, uh, we'll get back to that. It, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it was huge. 
because to me, that was like somebody taking something and stabbing it into the heart of our nation and putting the brakes on for many years that we have seen us slowly. And it's been gradual. You know, look at, look at some of the things that, you know, to me, that stick out in my mind that you can see gradually happening maybe more obviously. Like when I was in school, all girls wore skirts or dresses. Ladies wore skirts or dresses. Men wore pants. That was it. That's how we were raised. That was, we were different. Okay. And then the next thing we know, I get out of school. My younger sisters are still in school and the school dress code changes to they can wear pants, dress pants. Mm -hmm. Well, they weren't even finished getting out of high school before it was okay for everybody to wear jeans. So now we've not only put in a way for girls to be more like boys, the beginning of that, but we've also looked at it as in, we no longer have to dress formally. I mean, I'm saddened. Fortunately, I go to a church that we still honor God by getting up every Sunday. The men dress in suits. The women dress up like ladies in their dresses and skirts or a pantsuit if it's cold. Understandable. But, you know, so many of the churches even nowadays, pastors go up on stage in their tennis shoes and a pair of jeans or shorts and think that that's honoring God because they're going to speak the word of God. Well, you know what they should think, and the way I think about that is if I'm going to see the king or the president, yeah. how do I dress? Right. And now you're talking about the king of the universe. Amen. <laughs> you're going Amen. He is our king. Yeah. He's the king of kings. Yeah, that's just the way I personally have looked at it. That's, that's why I always wear a suit and tie when I go to church. Absolutely. Because that's how you honor the king. You don't, you don't go before a king, you know, in, in jeans and tennis shoes or flip-flops and, and not even bother to comb your hair or take care of yourself. You dress like you're going before royalty because he because is. Because we are. <laughs> that's right. He is the royalty. Well, that's, well I want to ask you, about uh, the relationship between faith and values and some of the issues and challenges that we face as a society today. From a faith perspective, and these are kind of hard questions, so okay. if, if you want to pass on them, you can. I'll get myself the, ready. I'll call border, on the Holy Spirit. The border situation. The border situation. Uh, you know, actually, I think that one's really easy. I think it's very sad what we're doing. I I, uh, I believe that it's so understated about the truth about what's happening. But that's the biggest problem in our country right now and all these things that we're going to talk about, I'm sure, is that the truth is not spoken. And, uh, you know, that's why I love it that God calls his word the way, the truth, and the life. Because... Truth is so valuable. And it's why one of the things in the Bible, when God talks about what he hates, and there's only one place he says this, what he hates is a lying tongue. 
And that has broken down so many things in this country. When they say that we are being unkind and that we are not being open and loving to allow the border to be open and let people in, they're not addressing the fact that I know one personal border patrol who said in the years he served, he himself found a hundred dead bodies in the desert, just him. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many thousand that are there Absolutely. every day of every year that find dead bodies that couldn't make it because of the heat or little bodies that were raped and killed or people that were, and I'm just talking about the illegals, people that are breaking the law, what happened to them? I'm not talking about the border patrol when I know one that I'm doing a documentary on that was shot six times in one night. I'm not talking about the innocent people who live on or near the border. I mean, I only live an hour away in Tucson, but they live on or near the border and they can't sleep at night because that's right. They're not talking about the young people that uh, the money that is spent to the cartels to have a right to go over the border where they have to pay to come across. They pay with their life. They pay with their life in many ways because most every woman is somehow criminally offended or raped or mistreated or abused in some form, along with a lot of the young boys. They're not talking about the fentanyl that comes in that kills our children daily here in the United States. They're not talking about the sex trafficking of human beings being taken to go away forever and used and abused. Think of that. Right. So how is that in any way the right thing to do? How is that that we are being prejudicial or we're being unkind or unfair? Any of those things. If anything, the fact that the border is open is one of the most evil things I've ever seen. That is a great perspective, a great way to understand it. And, you know, we could easily finish the wall. Easily. Have it controlled. And, you know, let people come back and forth who are registered Mm -hmm. uh, workers. They pay taxes. They come and go as they please, as long as they're law-abiding. Right. And um, if they want to become American citizens, they have to go through the same thing anybody else goes through, become an American citizen. Why is that difficult? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I went to an event last night that was based on, as Christians, what do we think of the border? And the one thing they didn't touch on that I think is so vital is the fact that as Christians, bringing people across the border we are neglecting our own citizens that have lived here all their lives, served here all their lives, paid taxes all their lives, loved one another all their lives. And that's why um, we have a nonprofit in Arizona uh, called uh, Blessings Through Action 
that is trying to house these people Mm -hmm. that are on fixed incomes, because all of a sudden, as you know, across the nation, rent and housing has gone ridiculous. So you're on a fixed income, all right? Mm -hmm. Say you're getting $900 a month. And right now you're paying 700 of that in rent. And you've got only a couple hundred to eat, pay for your medication, transportation, anything else. And all of a sudden they raise your rent, not $50, not $20, but three to $500. This is the rate that they're going up. Locally, and just in Tucson alone, and I know it's even bigger in many areas of the country. So you're on a fixed income. You rely on that social security check that you were promised that you worked while well, all those years you worked that you paid into. And all of a sudden they've raised the rent, but did the government give you no more money? No, the government has announced that all people that are recipients mm-hmm. under that next year will get Seventeen hundred and some odd dollars less than the previous years. Instead of it going up like it always has, at least the cost of living amount, mm-hmm. it's going to go backwards almost two thousand dollars. Now, where are you going to go if you've outlived your family, or you never had children, or you're too sick to take care of yourself, but yet? You're not sick enough to be put in a nursing home. You don't need full-time nursing care. I mean, there's so many circumstances. Maybe your family even loves you to pieces, but they're living hand-to-mouth themselves. 61% live paycheck to paycheck. Exactly. So that's, that's, now this is grandma and grandpa. This is aunt or uncle. This is sister or brother. You know, you can take them in, but the struggles become bigger. The room becomes smaller. And there is a strong correlation to that and what our federal government does with its spending. Exactly. And you look at how the national debt is accumulating. It's close to $100,000 per American citizen to pay the debt off now. Right. And... uh, It's getting worse for each succeeding generation. Absolutely. And what really puzzles me is why the young people, the college-age students who like to complain about stuff, why aren't they complaining about the fact that their future is being ruined by a government that is spending like drunken sailors? Exactly. Money that we don't even have, that we're printing. You know, and now they're saying that the dollar is going to go away that there's no longer going to be any cash available, that you're not going to be able to use it. So my biggest question for that and the biggest heartbreak to me is we all should be helping the homeless. And sometimes the best that we can do is maybe put some money out a car window to somebody, some cash, you know, maybe it's, to help a young person in the same way, Mm -hmm. a tip in in a restaurant, give them an extra tip, you know, because they earned it. Yeah, well, what people don't know, we started this during the previous administration. Uh, You can go to hud.gov slash find shelter. Okay. Put the zip code in 
and it will tell you where people can get food, shelter, clothing, whatever, in that zip code, in that area. A lot of, a lot of times, it's only a block away or three blocks away, but nobody knows where it is. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of them have been registered. This was a big project from the previous administration to make right. that possible. Absolutely, and you were part it of can, that, I know. It, it can be done, but uh, getting the information out can be somewhat difficult sometimes. And not only that, but, you know, think about it. A couple blocks away works, but if it's on the other side of town, and you don't have transportation, and you're, the temperature like it is in Tucson might be 105, 110. Maybe it's that um, you're not, you're ill anyway, maybe, you know, and, and I always think of this. When I'm that person driving that car, I've turned around and come back when God told me to. When I couldn't stop, I've turned around and come back because what does the Bible say about if you pass somebody up in need, that that could be an angel. Right. Am I right? Absolutely. So who are we to judge what that person's going to do with that money? I've often heard people say crass things like, well, I'm going to give to them because, you know, they're just going to go drink it or they're just going to go shoot up with it or they're just going to go whatever. My answer to them is this. Are you going to be judged for what they do or for what you do? Yeah. And we need to be smart. Um, I mean, housing first, for instance, mm. it's a big deal when I came on as secretary. And I like the concept, getting the people off the street, housing first. It's actually cheaper than leaving them on the street. Right. But if you really want to be compassionate, you have to do housing second and housing third. Housing second, you diagnose why they're on the street. Right. And housing third, you fix it. If you don't do that, 90 plus percent of the people who you take off the street and housing first end up back on the street. Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're talking 60 percent of those people are either drug addicts or mentally, or mentally ill. Mm-hmm. They can be helped right. under the appropriate circumstances. I talked to the head of the American Psychiatric Association. He said the vast majority of those people with counseling and appropriate medications can actually become productive Absolutely, absolutely. But we've kind of, we did this in the 80s. We, we threw those people out onto the street Wasn't and said, you're Carter? on your own. That's like taking a 10-year-old in many cases to put them out there and say, you're on your own. Right, exactly, or, or younger. Right. You know, uh, you know, I learned when I was um, probably in my 40s, was the first time I had the opportunity to go help at the Salvation Army and make up meals and sandwiches and big pots of soup and stuff because we had uh, a place in Tucson where people could come on Saturday and Sunday and other days of the week. But I, as a church member, only had the Saturday and Sunday off. So that's when I served them. Mm -hmm. But they gave this out throughout the week. But we would cook on the weekends and so in, I, I challenge everybody out there to go sometime and serve these people one time. Mm. And you will see the faces and you will see the abilities and you will understand that the majority of those people are either medicatedly unable to work or uh, 
which means drugs and alcohol, or they are um, mentally disabled in some way. And those people who are addicted, you know, a lot of people say, well, that they made their own bed, they got a lie in it. It's oh, very right. easy to get addicted, quite frankly. And I'm not making excuses for them, but we have no. to be understanding. And the vast majority of those people, if they could push a button and they wouldn't be addicted, they would wear that button out. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And the truth of the matter is that when people say cross things like that, my answer is there, but for the grace of God, go I. And how many of us are addicted to sin? Oh, <laughs> uh, all, I believe that. Aren't we, aren't we in good shape because God will forgive us? Absolutely. That, he, that Jesus paid the price absolutely, for us? Absolutely, absolutely. So important. Well, we're going to take another one-minute break. We'll be right back with our guest, Elaine Beck. So hold that thought. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And we're back with our fascinating guest, Elaine Beck. And Elaine, I wanted to, to ask you, well, I got a really tough one for you. Okay. For Christianity. All right. How should we regard the situation with Russia and Ukraine? What's the Christian approach? I think the Christian approach is that we should be taking care of our own before we try and take care of others. You know, I think God makes that pretty clear in the Bible that we should take care of, you know, he, Jesus went to many different communities and traveled around and spoke, and he sent his disciples to do the same thing. You can't fix everybody. You cannot stop people from making their own fights and living them, but they should live them if they make them. And I think that helping somebody defend themselves is praying for them. It is encouraging them. It is standing behind them with love. But to give away billions, as we have done, when we have people, again, we just spoke of it. We can't even give the people that are on Social Security the money that they deserve enough to at least even keep a roof over their head or feed their bellies. And they have to make a choice between those two things to survive each month. Mm -hmm. When we have people out on the streets in tents in every major city and some smaller towns now across this nation, when we have open borders and we're bringing people in by the millions that we have no place for them to live. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I'd, I'd like to go back for one second to something that I wanted to mention. You mentioned something very important about housing being the first thing. I think that with the, if, we, if you've got 7 million people, and I heard some uh, astronomical number, like it costs us 30-some thousand dollars a piece to take care of them, okay, over a year. If that's the case, and you want these new people to come in, and you want to be so gracious, where are you going to build the city that you're going to put them in? We have millions of vacant acreages in lovely states, in multiple states, that are available to build small cities that wouldn't cost that much. Allow them to build the housing themselves. Start with the tent city outside the perimeter. Let them build the homes. Let them create their vision, mm -hmm. give them the tools, we cost a whole lot less. And I'm not saying they have to be separate from us. Mm -hmm. I'm saying give them the opportunity mm -hmm. to create their dream. Which is this what, is which what, is what we happened did. in the early days of our country. Exactly. <laughs> it's what we did when our families came over from Europe mm -hmm. and from England and from other countries, right. China, Japan, all of these places. Do they mind that they have a section in New York or LA that's um, the their own district? No, they love it. Little Italy in New York, I've been there. The food is astronomical. So you're talking practical common sense. Oh, <laughs> darn, I hear there's a shortage of that. Not supposed to do that, but you know, when it when it comes to helping Ukraine or helping these various pl other places, when you get on an airplane, what's one of the first announcements you hear? In case of an emergency, oxygen mask will drop down. Put yours <laughs> on first, right, and then help your neighbor. Because Amen. if you're asphyxiated, you're not going to be able to help anybody. That's you? right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, that's in any emergency. Exactly. You know. It's just so vital for people to understand that there are wars all over the world. It's not just in Ukraine. Right. Okay. Well, that one's going to go on for, for as long as they can draw it out, because quite frankly, uh, Putin is being supplied with all the money that he needs because of our energy policies. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and yeah. China's combining with him now because they know that if we just keep pouring money we, and our military that's what they want stuff into their all their ammunition and stuff mm -hmm. that we just weaken ourselves mm -hmm. it's the same thing that reagan did to bring down russia mm -hmm. to bring down the soviet union right and uh, they're doing the same thing to us now and we're too stupid to actually realize yeah it. yeah there's that common sense factor again uh, absolutely no i mean I, I have compassion for all people, whether it's that homeless person here in the United States or it's that person that's facing war in another country of any kind. But, you know, nowhere does it say in the Bible that God's going to build a nation, 
Let's call it the United States for fun. Mm -hmm. And that everybody should go to that country to find freedom and peace and uh, to work or not work or be lazy or whatever. You can't take, God never meant for it. He divided the people up, if you remember, and he divided the languages intentionally He didn't mean for us to all live together or for us to all support each other. As the apostles went from town to town, they didn't take from this town to that town to fix that town or vice versa. He taught them how to sustain themselves by all looking to the heavens and all knowing God and Jesus and all creating their own heaven or hell on earth. We are given decisions for a reason. And that's not just to always be the bigger person and the giver and the doer of all things. That's not who we are. That's him. He is the doer of all things. He will save whatever country needs saved. And that includes this country or not. But this one definitely needs some saving right now. (laughs) Right, right. Well, we have to take another quick break. Okay, wonderful. And we'll be right back. So hold that thought. closing segment with a fascinating discussion with Elaine Beck. You were saying before our break. Well, you know, one of the things that we can do, and and this is a new thing that God, you know, has given us, is to have a day in this country that instead of just, you know, we should pray every day, shouldn't we? Absolutely. And we should humble ourselves as individuals every day because we're all sinners all the time. And, uh, and yet God has asked us to come before him in a national day of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very exciting. It's very amazing that God has said, this is the time if we are to save our country, if we are to save our world, because this is a worldwide thing, not just country. But we need to focus on, again, within our own home, Mm -hmm. okay? Within our sphere of influence. Right, exactly. And in that sphere, we are looking at, you know, what better time to ask for forgiveness than over the weekend of Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is when we look to God and say, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the people in our lives and and the love that you show us every day and for your son who came to save us and give us eternity. And then on that Thursday, we always celebrate that. That Sunday, we want, God wants, moreover, 
for us to humble ourselves. Can you speak the scripture that I, I do you know the scripture that I'm speaking to? If, if my people right. who are called by thy name yes. will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Isn't that beautiful? Absolutely. And that scripture God gave me five years ago. And I held on to it, and it's up on the wall in my in my offices. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Exactly, and all of this came from that, and that's what it's based on. Because when we humble ourselves, Doctor Carson, it's not just for ourselves. It's not just for us to individually humble ourselves, but it's a time when we say, God. We understand that none of us are better than another person. I don't care if they're murderers, if they're burning down our cities like has been happening, or they're stealing or whatever. We have to remember that no sin is bigger or lesser than the next, and that our God wants all of us in heaven. And so we feel that there's going to be, we should take this day, on November 26, 2023, and literally all of us, all Christians, all believers, all Christ followers, all Jewish people, God's chosen people, all of us should be on our knees, humbling. Uh, we're we're going to speak to pastors. We're going to speak mm-hmm. to organizations across this nation. We are calling for all of you to know that this day we need to set aside and live that scripture. So important. Humble themselves and pray. And we, the American people, need to understand that we are not each other's enemies. No, we we are not. Stop allowing ourselves to be manipulated into thinking that we're each other's enemies. And what could we accomplish if we let the love of God into our hearts once again? One nation... Under God. Yes. Think about it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I want to thank you for being with us today. Absolutely. I hope everybody listens to this. Share it with others. Wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, make sure you rate us, review us, tell people about us. We have to spread common sense. Amen. When common sense becomes common. Once again, we're going to be in Fat City. Yes. And remember the cornerstones. Faith, freedom or liberty, community and life. Amen. See you next week.